0: This is Conversations with Corliss, the leadership podcast that gives you real and authentic advice that can help you change your life for the better. Here we will listen to stories and have conversations with people who are just like you, people who are chasing their dreams and making them happen. Your host Corliss is a modern day purpose-driven leader, As an entrepreneur, she has developed a multi-million dollar business, leading thousands of people to discover their potential and reach their personal goals, all while balancing the responsibilities of raising her three children. She is a powerful, inspirational speaker, a certified success principles coach, and the founder and CEO of Corliss Co. Consulting, Incorporated.
1: Hi, everyone. This is Conversations with Corliss, a real leadership podcast. Here, we will talk about all the things it takes to bravely lead the life you deserve. Welcome to the conversation. You may have guessed it, my name is Corliss and I'm so glad you are here. I love hanging out with people who are motivated to be more and do more. It's exciting to be surrounded by positive people who want to grow and live to their full potential. I know that's you or you wouldn't have landed here. My goal in bringing you this podcast is to help you take control of your life, to rise up and be all you can be. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Today's episode is being brought to you by Prairie Laser Ink & Toner, located in the beautiful community of Stonebridge in Saskatoon. Ink & Toner is an everyday essential for both business and home use. Prairie Laser Ink & Toner carries the largest number of brand name and compatible ink toner products in Saskatchewan. They can supply all your printing products with next day delivery to your business or home office during COVID. As a business owner myself, I always appreciate such personable service, especially when it saves me time. Prairie Laser Inc. and Toner Supply is a family-owned and operated Saskatoon business. They put customer service first, guarantee quality products, and will match any competitor's price in Saskatchewan. Support local and contact them today at 306 668-0070 or visit their website at prairielaser.com for a free quote or to place your order. This is Episode 016, The Magnificence of Money with Tanya Woods Richardson. Would you like to reinvent your financial reality? If you said yes, then this episode is for you. Today's guest is a serial entrepreneur, financial strategist, and money mentalist who helps entrepreneurs master the magnificence of money. For the past two decades, she has been devoted to sharing insights, tools, and resources that help business owners create a prosperous, purposeful, and profitable business. She is fully aware of the financial situation facing millions of entrepreneurs, and that COVID didn't cause the financial crisis, it simply exposed it. In this conversation, we explore how to eliminate debt and move towards financial security. We talk about how to teach our children to trust themselves and make solid decisions, and much, much more. If you are ready to show up for your family, business, and most importantly for yourself, this conversation will help you. Make sure and share it with a friend. They will thank you. Let's do this. Let's decide here and now that we will never compromise our safety, security, and financial future ever again. So thanks for joining us today, Tanya. I'm very excited that you're here to share about the magnificence of money. And I personally have of course taken your program and I know it's fantastic and I'm really looking forward to everybody learning from you today. Do you wanna begin with telling us just a little bit about yourself and what led you to this profession and basically your story? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for the invitation. Thank you for having me.
0: Um, I think especially now, a lot of uh, people have money on their minds, so the timing is is great. And uh, yeah, so appreciate the opportunity to be here. So really, kind of what has led me here, I typically start my story in uh, 2009, actually, because for me, it's when I first really became aware of what was going on in my life and um in and really kind of taking responsibility for my actions so my story actually starts um with a bankruptcy and that was ironically how i first came to understand the magnificence of money was through bankruptcy so it was 2009 and i had been in business for uh, about seven years doing very well externally on the outside everything looked great um behind the curtain though i had been dying a slow death um and you know obviously i think we all remember what happened in 2008 And what i want to point out here for a lot of people is that uh, in 2008 with the economic turmoil that we experienced that did not cause my bankruptcy it simply exposed it it exposed the, the fragility of my financial situation and so you know that bankruptcy for anybody who's gone through it hopefully you don't have to but it it's an experience that i liken into a river rafting accident i once had where i'm thrown out of my raft and i find myself submerged underwater face up quite literally and it's a fierce spring current that's whipping me down the riverbed with the the rocks pounding into my back and all the while i'm actually frantically clawing at the surface of uh of the river there had been a log jam that it accumulated there. And so I'm desperately trying to find air. And really that whole emotional experience, it was 60 seconds, but that is what I relived in bankruptcy. And then layer that with a lot of shame that I was feeling extremely embarrassed, um, a lot of guilt for letting people down. And so, you know, it was, um, that experience is, is really a big piece of what, started to, uh, to kind of forge my relationship with money and start to, to rebuild it, quite honestly. But again, as I was mentioning, the, um, the, the economic turmoil in 2008, it didn't cause the bankruptcy, it simply exposed it. And the bankruptcy was really, um, it was the, I think it's Oprah that talks about the whispers to the brick, right? Just these small, subtle messages that happen throughout your life. They get louder and louder and louder, and the bankruptcy was my brick. So, if we go back, and I'm I'm just going to share this story with everyone, um, because I think it's it's important, not so much my story, but so that you can see the pattern. Um, When I go back to the early beginnings, I grew up an only child to separated parents. I experienced a tremendous amount of um, stark contrast between two very different financial families. My mom's side was um, extremely artistic and flamboyant, and you know, her grandparents were journalists. She was an artist. They moved to Spain you know, working with CBC, and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on there, this bohemian lifestyle. And then on my dad's side, sharp contrast, the scholars, the academics, the lawyers, the accountants, the developers, responsible for building a lot of the the toronto skyline as we see it and so because they separated when i was quite young i remember you know quite literally my early childhood i grew up in spain for a good chunk of my time and my mom when she met my stepfather they decided they were going to buy a vw van and homeschool me and so for years we traveled around europe we ended up you know taking a ferry over to morocco living in this vw van trading Mars bars for spices and then all of a sudden I'd be you know on a plane all by myself off to Toronto where I'd find myself landed my dad would come and get me and then I remember the very first thing my grandmother would always do is is go and um, take me shopping because this little gypsy girl <laughs> with my crazy crazy hair and you know this dress these, this wardrobe that my mom would, would, uh, would sew for me would not do in the yacht club so again so not again but i need to share with you this is my interpretation of my childhood but um that was always the first thing and so really i share that with you because for me growing up the one of the the primary themes was this idea of contrast and and juxtaposition and having nothing and then all of a sudden everything Um, and also this feeling of not belonging because even you know, I spent a lot of time with my mom growing up, majority of my time, there was several weeks out of a year where I'd visit my dad. But my mom, when she fell into the relationship with my stepfather, um, he didn't want children. And, and you know, rightfully so, they were young. They were My mom had me when she was 21. She met him when I think she was like 23. He was 21 at the time. And then all of a sudden there's this young kid. And so I learned how to stay very small and very quiet because it was when I was quiet and when I didn't interfere too much that is when I was accepted that is when it was like okay you know what please just don't be a nuisance just be quiet don't show up and the smaller that you are the more we can pretend you don't exist so why I'm sharing those stories with you is a to to show you how stories actually turn into major themes in our life which really form the basis of our programming And for me, my main themes were, I didn't belong, and um, a a tremendous sense of unworthiness and and stark contrast. And so for all of us, these themes are, are embedded by the time we're 12, 13, 14, and then we just start living those themes out. Our subconscious chooses to live those themes out. So before the bankruptcy, you know, it started when I was really young, but I took on a lot of debt. My first job was with Holt Renfrew. The first thing they do is they give you a credit card. At 18, I'd racked up $21,000 of debt in this desperate need to belong to that group. So buying the Louis Vuitton purses and you know the the the, the Prada shoes and all of the wardrobe to go along with it. Um, and and you know in those early days with career as well, it was just this constant struggle of really accepting my self worth. So always accepting lower paying jobs than I knew I was deserving of feeling that if I just worked hard, if I worked hard and proved my worth, that they would then see me for the gem that I was. And then I would get the acknowledgement and the compensation. And inevitably, what's so interesting is that the acknowledgement always came, my, my titles always flourished and I climbed the corporate ladder, but my salary never did. And so it was that bankruptcy in 2009 that really kind of woke me up to how did I get here
1: and never again? Your story is very interesting, and I think most people have a very common underlying story, kind of like what you're referencing here. Do you find that a lot of people have these themes, like the are they common, like with the people that you work with, this underlying issue that is really determining their financial relationship?
0: Well, I think the... I know that our brains as human beings, we all have a brain and the intention of our brain um, and primarily our subconscious brain is to actually remember a lot of the painful pieces of our childhood so that um, it believes that if it remembers these things that it can protect us from these things in the future. Um, and unfortunately, that isn't typically how our brain is is wired, but you know, to, to answer the specifics of your question, absolutely everybody has a story. Absolutely everybody's story is absolutely, truly fascinating. A lot of people keep it at a surface level, and but again, at the the underlying cause of um, of of a lot of the financial challenges. And again, financial challenges just don't need to be about earning money. People can earn money and then they spend it. People can earn money and then they hoard it, and so. In my experience, you know, and I've I've worked with thousands of entrepreneurs over the last 20 years. Um, In my experience, I would say over 85% are falling into one of these three buckets of either having a hard time earning it, earning it and then overspending it, or earning it and then hoarding it. And at the basis of each one of those decisions or challenges or, um, you know, inconsistencies with their relationship with money, it is the programming that we have embedded in our brain and the programming came from the story it came from the story of zero to 12 of what we experienced and then our observations of that experience which is really important it's our observation of what we went through not what our parents did to us but how we chose to interpret it
1: no i really i really love everything you're saying there so three buckets. So each person, you know, based on your experience probably has one of those that they kind of fall into and can kind of help them understand themselves and their relationship with money in the first place, right? Yeah. And and sometimes it
0: can, it can, it can trickle into another bucket because I'll have a lot of people that, well, I have a hard time earn it, but then when I do get to earn it, then I overspend it. But usually it's weighted in one bucket and then we see a triple effect. So there, there could be multiple buckets there, but Usually we deal with the first bucket and then we get into the other buckets.
1: Mm -hmm. I like that. So what were you originally, which was your original bucket, you would say?
0: It was earning because my, one of my, my big themes that prevented the earning was self-worth. Not feeling like I was worthy, not feeling like I uh, belonged or that I deserved it. So, um, yeah, that was, that was definitely one that, um, that I needed to be very aware of and conscious of.
1: That's interesting. Okay. I'm really fascinated and I know this is going a different direction than I had originally intended, but I I really feel like a lot of people have that particular underlying issue of like worthiness. It's like, how do I, how do I elevate how I feel about myself to attract or bring in more financial abundance? So how did you do that?
0: Well, I, I think so. I'm going to step back here for a second again. And so you know, I'm, I'm pulling together a research paper and it should be done by the end of the year, but this is my belief after doing this for 20 years, what I have been recognizing with people who have a hard time earning is that yes, it does typically stem from self-worthiness issues, but there's a very, um, there's a very important correlation that I want everybody to make uh, before we get into this conversation around money and value. Um, and, and we can call it different things. We can call it value. We can call it nurturing. We can call it acceptance, but a lot of us just see money as this, this, this physical commodity that we either have or we don't. And if you can start to see it as something different, I believe this is going to, to definitely help people in this space. So if we see money as let's just, I'm going to use the word love and hopefully it doesn't, you know, um, impact people to the point that they turn this off for a second but if we see it as love or if we see it as nurturing here's what typically happens this has been my experience and what i've seen that the research isn't there yet to prove it but typically the, the individuals that have a hard time receiving the money were in a position early on in their childhood where they didn't receive the love that they needed that they needed at that time so our parents could have been doing everything that they felt they could do. But typically at the, 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 the brunt of that is this situation where as a child, we feel that we are not receiving the love and attention and nurturing that we need at that time. Does that make
1: sense for you? Is that landing? Mm-hmm. It does. Yes, it does. And I think that everybody has that at some level. It's like something's happened back there that has them kind of sitting there and is stuck and it's like things get triggered, but we end up repeating that same pattern, right? Right. Right. And so, yeah, I'm just in this one bucket of
0: of receiving
1: at this point, but you're right.
0: It's it's. So what happens is that if our, and this is, you know, I'm definitely oversimplifying, but in my case if i'm feeling like i'm not receiving the love that i needed what my brain starts to understand the emotional state that it becomes familiar with is not receiving right Mm -hmm. it is now familiar with okay we're not getting what we need we're not getting what we need this is the state that i am familiar with so what happens and you know i'll well maybe i'll explain this right now is that first thing is that most people don't know how much money they need to make. And then what usually keeps them from making that number one, they don't know what it is, but two, it's that our subconscious brain is it wants to stay in a state that it is familiar with. So in my case, my subconscious wanted to stay in that state of being familiar with not receiving what I needed to take care of myself right not receiving the love not receiving the nurturing feeling in a state of lack does that make sense
1: it does it's just that it's such a confusing topic i think for people because and i mean quite frankly it's been a confusing topic for me most of my life because perhaps i i know like i've got you know this worthiness issue is underneath there so and i think a lot of women that are listening to this will feel this and understand it but it's like you work on reprogramming yourself recognizing that it's an old pattern and you want to change it. So you do all this work trying to shift it and yet you still have the same thing showing up. So then the internal battle goes on of like, it's not really possible. The law of attraction doesn't work. I can't receive. It's not possible. So talk a little bit about that, about how you worked through that.
0: I love, I love that you brought that up. So there's a couple of things in there that we need to explore. One is that um, we need to explore this idea of try right? Because try, we know, is really just, it's it's our way of saying that it won't work, right? Mm-hmm. You either do or you don't do. So as soon as we say, as soon as we set ourselves up to say, I'm going to try to do something, inevitably, we're giving ourselves permission for it not to work. So that that's one little thing to dissect there. But the other really important thing that um, I, I really need to, I want people to hear this, I need for you to hear this, is that we are not broken. We're not broken, and we don't need to be fixed. This, I think, is really what keeps people stuck in this place of feeling broken because um, I, I feel like I almost need to lay out the whole foundation of, of the matrix here. So let me just do that quickly, and then I'm going to come back into some tangible items here for people. So. One question that I get often asked is, well, how do you actually start to master money? How How do you master the magnificence of it? How do I make more money? You know, how do I feel this life of abundance and worth and value? So step one, I need you to get crystal, crystal clear on exactly how much money you need to create from the bottom up. So how much do you need to have set aside in investing, in saving? How much do you need to share with taxes, with others, your spending to live a life that's beautiful and wondrous but also responsible, when you start to add up all of those numbers, you end up with something called the magic number. Most people have been hiding from that number because they're terrified of what that number will actually look like. So step two is now mindset. I already mentioned that the two reasons why we aren't making the magic number, one, we don't know what it is. You can't create it if you don't know what it is. And number two, that there our subconscious is blocking it. If it's not familiar with what that magic number is going to feel like, it is going to block it. So this programming that we have at our core is often what is blocking it. So that is mindset work. Now, you'll notice under mindset work, I haven't talked about fixing it because that is not the intention of understanding our mindset. The intention is to see it, to see, oh, so for me, oh, I get where this sense of, of not belonging is, comes from, where the sense of self-worth or lack of self-worth comes from, where this contrast continues to come from. And the deeper we get into it and we start to see that our parents were just doing the best that they could with it, the intention of the mindset work in the matrix that you were talking about is for you to see it, to see it only. To see it only, it's not to fix it because then and now, we have a choice, we have a choice to either stay in it, or we can choose to move in a very new direction. So the third piece of it, if one part is money management, the second part is money mindset, the third piece is what I call money motive. And it is about getting into alignment with why making the magic number is so important. So now when I come back to your original question around how do you do this work, how do people shift, the big misnomer is that we have to fix ourselves. There's nothing to be fixed. When we think about when we were first born, we go back to that moment, we were truly pure in that moment. That was the, the best, most ideal, brightest version of us is in that second that we were born, we had absolutely everything that we needed. We were pure love, pure joy, pure abundance. We were pure, 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 pure. We had everything going for us. And then from that point forward, this is when the layer started to happen. It was the layer of, oh, you did that wrong, or, oh, I didn't get fed at the right time, or, oh, I didn't see a smile on my mom's face, or, oh, my mom was distracted because, you know, she had miscarriages before me and she was so worried about what would happen to me, or, oh, now she's focused on her relationship. So all of those situations and our interpretation to them simply formed layers, layers that hid us from our true self. So a lot of women are out there and we keep now thinking that we're broken or we keep looking externally for answers. What's the next book? What's the next course? What's the next, um, you know, what's the next, I see this a lot, education. Oh, I'm just going to go get that. I'm going to get that. I'm going to get my, you know, my, my BA, then my MBA, then my PhD, right? Or now it's this relationship or, oh, when I get this set of nails. So we look externally to fix ourselves, but there's nothing to be fixed. Our you, I know that your work is in finding our purpose. And I'm going to say right now that my, my belief of what purpose is as a human being, I think, again, so the way our brain works is that we like to overcomplicate things because overcomplication is an excuse not to get it done. It's an excuse to stay mired in busyness, in details, in I don't get it, I don't get it, I don't get it. It is purest sense for me, purpose as a human being is about reconnecting with the true core that we were when we were born, just getting back there. And it's when we do that, when we do what we are looking for others to do for ourselves. that's when everything shifts. That is that, that emotional alignment. So if I go back, let's go back to your question around self-worth and self-love so how do we find self-love how do we you know where do we get that? and this is where we turn externally to all these different sources my experience has been that you actually just sit and you love yourself and now how uncomfortable is that for everybody i can hear everybody right now saying and maybe you're even thinking this Carlos, well how the heck do you do that i've never done that that sounds silly like, how do you just sit and love yourself? Right. And this is so important because it's the excuses that we tell ourselves, especially, and it's funny because week three is all the important work and the excuses I hear from people around, well, well, that just sounds like law of attraction or it sounds like the secret or that sounds too simple. All of the excuses that we tell ourselves are just basically our subconscious saying, let's not go there. Let's just stay what we're familiar with. And so the more uncomfortable it feels for you, the more important that work is for you to do. So when we do for ourselves what we most want others to do for us or what we're most seeking, that's
1: when everything lines up. That's when the money comes in. Mm, I like how you pulled that together right there at the end. So it sounds like discovering self-love, and it didn't sound strange to me, just so you know, I've definitely had to sit with this myself. And discovering self-love is really connected to the idea that we are our own worst enemy. It's like we have, like you referenced, all the layers of things that we've created this belief system that has us, you know, unlove ourselves. And if you can just sit with that and you can, reconnect to this beautiful human being that you are and release those layers, you'll have an opportunity to create abundance in all aspects of your life just by being who you are, right?
0: Yeah, very much so. I think for myself, I, I reframe that a little bit and I I don't use the word me and I, um, I will use the word my subconscious. I, I have chosen personally to see my subconscious as what's been blocking me that I've always had the tools, that I've always been brilliant, that I've always been gifted, that I've always been loved. But my subconscious, um, and not from a negative way, I want to be very mindful that I'm loving every part of my body, but the, the, int- the, the purpose of the primitive part of the brain is ironically to protect us, to keep us alive as a human species. So. What I choose to do is I choose to lovingly and with compassion thank my subconscious for the job that it has been doing for standing guard and for um, looking to protect me. And then I will say to it, um, I want you to know that here's what we're actually in the process of creating. We're in the process of creating a nurturing environment, a loving environment, an environment that feels safe an environment that feels secure and here's what it feels like. And you actually sit in just what that feels like. You either take a memory or you take an item or something that is external that you can actually start to feel whatever that desired state is. And then you sit in that and you show your subconscious. So, you know, some people have different words for it, you know, inner child, subconscious, but how all these pieces come together and you do it with compassion. Because almost as if it was a little child, you wouldn't be kicking it to the corner saying, you know, oh my gosh, you're evil, you're bad, you've put us in a bad situation, you know, how dare you, shame on you, right? We would never do that. So it's about lovingly saying, thank you so much for protecting us, I know this is what you have been looking to do, and please continue to do that. Let's just do it a different way because this is what we're working towards and that's so important and you know I just got off a call today where especially with everything that's going on in the world and I think everybody's I'm generalizing but a lot of people's adrenals are shot and we're having a really hard time connecting and you know with ourselves let alone with others um and so you know I have always been able to not always but I've you know, I, I've, I've been able to meditate on my own and the last couple of weeks, I've not been able to do that. And I found myself this week actually getting very hard on myself of saying, Oh, get it together, Tanya, you know, this, you know, exactly how to do this. You teach people how to do this. What are you doing? Like figure it out. And then I realized, Oh my gosh, I'm doing, I'm being hard on myself again, which creates more hardness financially which creates the resistance to money coming in. And, you know, ironically, as soon as I just sat with myself and just said, I don't have the answers. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where the next chapter is going to turn to. And I just sat in love for my brain, where it was at, then everything opened up again. Then the calls opened up, clients came back. Like, it's amazing how this works.
1: It really is. That's so good. There's so much goodness in everything that you're sharing there. I almost want to dissect it, you know, piece by piece. But of course, I want to get to some other questions here. But what I am really hearing is that with the motive portion, so when you were talking about money motive, I do talk a lot lot about purpose. I feel like purpose is a foundation of almost everything. The purpose to and the pureness of who we are as a human being when we're born right through the purpose to our behaviors and why we act a certain way, why we set the goals that we do, why we have a vision for what we have. I mean, purpose is the why and the underlying message of the, the importance of it behind it for us. So would you say that the money motive part is really purpose? Like why do I want to have this money?
0: No, no, I don't. I think that, um, personally, I think it's about the three things. So I think, so f- I'll, I'll speak to, to my own personal experience here. So my purpose is when I think about myself as a human being, my purpose is to reconnect with that real self, like at the the basis of it, that, that true little being that I was, you know, first born as and the, and the magnificence of that. And so, When I think about getting back there, it's taken me these three different realms, not just motive. It's taken me understanding. So I call it money management, but it could be anything. It could be just crystal clear, um, clarity with respect to what it is that I'm looking to create in life, like what I want my life to look like be understanding the blocks, but in even understanding the blocks, then all of a sudden, I start to see my journey and my parents journey and my grandparents journey in a very different light, where there's tons of empathy and compassion. And then yes, in in motive, it's about understanding why all of this is important. And it again, it's about coming back to just this, this pureness so I can live this beautiful magnificent life that is my that is my why so in my my purpose is about coming back to that my vehicle in which i have chosen to be able to learn all of these lessons has been money money has always been the thread so you'll see you know love time money it's all the same thing and so For me, again, tapping into who I really am is my purpose, but I'm doing that through better understanding money and rebuilding my relationship with money. And ironically, as I rebuild my relationship with money, I rebuild my relationship with people, with time, with myself and with myself. And that's really where it starts. When it starts with you, then everything else gets impacted. And so internally, that's my purpose. But I I will often share with members that oftentimes our greatest pain becomes our greatest purpose. And if we know as humans, that's what we're all really looking to do here, having this human experience, that sometimes if we learn through our pain and we share that learning and we show up with that learning, then others connect with it.
1: Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Are you someone who wants to learn to lead yourself and others? If you are, I want to invite you to get my digital course. This is a personal development program you can work at your own pace in the comfort of your own home. My listeners get a discount of $20 off the entire program using discount code PODCAST. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T. With your purchase, you will have access to the program forever, so it will bring you value for a lifetime. I believe the best investment anyone will ever make is in themselves. If you agree with me, head on over to corliss.ca to purchase your Lead Your Life course today. So there's a purpose to the pain which I reference really often and I think a lot of times that is where we reconnect is through that you know, painful experience. And that reminds me, I wanted to come back to what you had said about bankruptcy and how it exposed your relationship with money. It wasn't, can you just come back and explain that just a little bit and i do want to thank you so much for clarifying that all three are so important i i love the the whole overall perspective and how it's really a process and all comes together so could you come back to that like just a little bit more and explain that maybe expand on it a little bit about how bankruptcy exposed it because that's what you said
0: sure yeah absolutely so You know, I, um, so just a little framework there. So I started my business, I think in 2001 and I, it it actually generated revenue. I didn't pay myself, but the business generated revenue, which was interesting. Um, But for the longest time, I always blamed the revenue model. So, you know, the bankruptcy happened and, and still to this day, I explain to a lot of entrepreneurs that my revenue model was flawed. It didn't build profit into the, the bottom line. I wasn't paying myself a healthy salary. Everybody else was coming first. I wasn't getting the money in time to pay for the expenses. So it, it really just, uh, the, the issue just perpetuated itself. You know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, right, as people always talk about. So, you know, when 2008 hit, I mean, there was just so many things, so economic, you know, disruption. I was living in Calgary at the time. My partner at the time um, had a a business um, of his own that was going through a lot of challenges. We were in Calgary where it was boom bust and nobody was spending. So a lot of people, you know, right now I know there's a lot of people that are, that are fearful, quite honestly. They're like, oh, you know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? So for me, the worst that could happen actually happened. And it was the bankruptcy. I w- uh, The business went insolvent, and my partner's business went insolvent at the same time, and we were pregnant at the same time, and he was going through non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, stage two, just getting through that. So there was a lot going on. So a lot of people in, in bankruptcy, myself included in those early days, we can blame the situation. We can blame COVID. We can blame economic turmoil in 2008. We can blame that there was a you know, cancer scare and that distracted us. But the reality is that it was our choices that led to building a financially fragile business to start with. And this is what we saw in COVID is that you know, in two weeks in, businesses were on the verge of bankruptcy. And in Canada, quite honestly, before COVID hit, the majority of Canadians were $200 away from personal bankruptcy, meaning that insolvency, meaning that they they, were $200 away from not being able to cover their debt, right? That's it, income minus debt. So we live in a country where we were just paycheck to paycheck. So if we, and I don't wanna use the word doing right, but if we were taking care of ourselves financially, if we had put savings aside, If we had, with our investing, we had diversified, we had mitigated risk. Um, If our debt wasn't tapped out and we weren't carrying those balances at you know, 19 to 25% interest, if all of those things were financially secure and safe, we would have been riding out COVID going, well, now this is just an amazing opportunity for us just to sit back and relax because we're financially safe and secure. But because we went into it so fragile, um, and I know we went in fragile, I've been studying this for 20 years, Canada is the worst country in the world for spending habits. We surpassed Greece two years ago. So this is where our fragility came from. So the, the, for me, the bankruptcy, it, uh, it wasn't because of economic turmoil. It was the decisions that I made before 2009, and then 2008 hit, and it simply just exposed it. And that's exactly what's happening here through COVID. It's exposing, um, it's exposing everything that wasn't working for us. And what is so brilliant about COVID is that we have nowhere to run. We can't escape from it. We can't travel anywhere. We, can't, we are stuck looking at it and to face it. And that is the gift. I know a lot of people are scared out there, but the, the first thing you do is, OK, what's the worst thing that can happen? A lot of people will say bankruptcy. I have to tell you, bankruptcy is not as bad as everybody makes it out to be. You get to keep your primary residence. You get to pick your vehicle. Sure, you've got 21 months of sharing half of everything that you live. All of your debt is wiped out. And please don't get me wrong, I'm not encouraging bankruptcy. But what I am saying is a lot of people stay mired in fear because they're actually not looking at, well, what is the worst that can happen? And when you stay in fear, you attract more fear, you attract more lack, you attract more scarcity. That's how it happens.
1: There's so, there's just so many things. I'm like jotting notes and I'm thinking, okay, we got to pull this back yet even more because you're right. COVID exposed it. It exposed the the choices that maybe not the word negative, but the choices that we made ahead of time to not be in a position to be... Financially sound in in the time of crisis, right? Exactly. Yep, that's
0: exactly it. And then you know, everybody. I don't want to weigh in on whether it was law. Lo- health is number one, absolutely. But here's what I'm seeing now: is now that we're getting back to business and everything is opening up again, everyone's feeling a sense of relief. And I don't think necessarily it's a sense of relief over. Um, okay, the businesses are opening again. I believe it's a sense of relief of. Oh my goodness. Thank thank goodness. I don't need to dig in any deeper. Thank goodness. It doesn't get any more painful than it already did. And there's potentially a way that I can escape this without having to do the real work, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Open up the doors, bring clients in, but in the line of work that I do, and um, I've met with so many health practitioners that will say the exact same thing it is the way our brain is wired is that we will not take the action that is absolutely necessary until our back is against the wall it's until we get the health scare until we're going through the divorce until we've got the bankruptcy around the corner that we will actually start to dig in and do this work right that it's just the way our subconscious wants to keep it in a state that it is familiar with it doesn't want to feel uncomfortable and doing the work is uncomfortable. And that's where, if you can just reframe this, this is the opportunity right now when you're still uncomfortable and before you get back to a new comfortable to actually really dig in and understand why you chose, why you chose, not you Corliss, but the the audience, why we choose debt, why we choose to overspend, why we choose not to set that price at the rate we need to set it at why we choose to hoard our money whatever it may be because ultimately at the end of the day that's usually not how we want to live our lives we don't want to live indebted we don't want to live in fear we don't want to live in scarcity that that's i i haven't met anybody yet that has agreed that that's how they want to live i could be wrong but (laughs) it's been my experience so far
1: hmm Yeah. You know, all of the things that you're saying, it really sounds like the three parts of it, right? Like the money management is likely why people needed to make a shift, like through the COVID experience. It's like, how was I managing money? Those were the choices, right? Ahead of time. Yes. Yeah. How was okay. I
0: managing money? But some people just avoid it or they thought they were managing fine. But then when they, they, the avoidance was their distraction, Right. And then when they actually look at it, they're like, oh, my gosh, I, we weren't even making ends meet. We didn't even realize it. it was just going on credit cards and we couldn't see it because we just continue to make those payments on the credit card. So it was all just, you know, a big bundle of gray all matted up together without you being able to dissect it and to see it for what it is. And that's scary for people to look at that.
1: So could that happen now again? So perhaps like now that things are starting to reopen and if people didn't do the work to really want to look at it because their back wasn't completely against the wall, maybe that's where it's like back into that comfort zone of like, let's just close our eyes and keep going. We don't want that to happen for people. We want people to use this as an opportunity to learn, to recognize, to shift it so that there's something great that comes from this.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. This is the human experience. The human experience is about being the best version of us possible, and the, the things that are happening externally are just showing us that internally we have stuff to do, right? So our relationship with others, wherever there's stress and chaos, it's showing us what's in us. Wherever there's stress and chaos financially, it's showing us what needs to be healed in us. Wherever there's stress and chaos with with time and management and schedules, it's showing us what needs to be healed with us. The the, the, the solution is never at the level of the problem, it's always with us. We have to do the work
1: on us. Mm -hmm. That's the personal growth that I'm always referencing. It's like we really are mirroring, our inside world is mirroring our outside world. Our outside world is mirroring our inside world, right? Okay. So let's talk to the ordinary person, (laughs) the ordinary person who is just like, I have so much debt. I'm in this dark hole. I'm terrified. You know, what, and you know, the economic challenge that's ahead, because of course that's, you know, out there, it's being spoken about, people are feeling it. What would you say to those people?
0: Well, You know, first of all, I think when it comes to debt, I think in life, one of the very first gifts that we can give ourselves is just awareness. So usually one of the gifts that I would give back in this situation to all of us ordinary human beings is I want you to think about what does being in debt feel like right? And, and really just sit with it and, and figure out, you know, is it, is it pressure? Is it uncertainty? Is it stress? Is it burden? Is it overwhelmedness? Is it, you know, what, whatever that might be. And then recognize, just let yourself off the hook and recognize that your subconscious created that because that is realistically, most inevitably, what this, the, the, it's mirroring what you grew up in, the emotional environment in which you grew up in. So A, making that correlation because over-purchasing was not just for the sake of over-purchasing and overbuying. It there was a specific reason why you got in debt and that was your subconscious wanting to relive that emotion that's attached to it. So we need to A, start there, otherwise we're just going to repeat the problem. And this is why consolidated debt usually doesn't work because consolidated debt, it will take all of that debt and it will put it into one bucket of debt freeing up all the other buckets of debt that you had before and you'll feel good for a little bit and then your subconscious again will go back and make those same decisions to now get you even more in debt because now you've got consolidated debt plus all the original sources of of uh of credit that you had available to you before you consolidated it all so that's the first thing is just being aware of why you chose to get in debt to start with the second thing which I, I, I really, it's, it, it's interesting for people to wrap their head around, but this is where I challenge them to, to tell me, give me all your excuses, is that in the work that we do in the matrix, we, we put a, a plan in place that gets you out of debt in 36 months. And so we, we figure out what that number is. So for a lot of people, if they're just kind of, you know, making a third of their payment on debt or half of their debt, or maybe it's two thirds, whatever that may be, Um, their debt repayment, hypothetically, might look like $1,000 a month. And now they're not making money, but I'm going to come back to that in a minute because a lot of people are afraid about that. Um, But when we do the math, maybe they end up saying, okay, well, I actually need to be putting $2,000 to my debt every month if I'm going to get out of debt in 36 months. So here's what's interesting is that most people stay stuck in that thought of, Um, where the heck am I going to get that? That's not doable. I'll never be able to make that money, right? They stay in this place of lack and scarcity. And now with COVID, people are doing that even more so. They're giving themselves another excuse to not be able to make that money, to stay in that place. So here's the thing I need everybody to know is that when you actually do your math and you figure out your magic number, including getting out of debt, including putting the right amount aside for investing, including putting the right amount aside for your savings and your emergency fund, you are going to end up with a number, most likely that is much more or definitely more than you're currently making. And then people are terrified of that. They're terrified of there's no way that I'm going to be able to make that number. And so right away, They've got that mindset around, can't do it. So we're in a society right now where we do what we can with what we make. And I want people to understand that we actually need to, un- we, we need to uncover what needs to be done, which will influence how much money needs to be made. Now, I know that the next question, Corliss, I bet, is going to be, well, how do you make the magic number? Like, how, how does that even happen? So there's a whole system to it that I was talking about in terms of understanding the blocks and then the motive. But here's what's interesting, is that when you find that magic number, and even if you don't know that number and you're just looking at your debt repayment number, I want you to come up with a list of all the reasons why, aka excuses, why that number can't be met, and I've heard them all. I've heard age, gender, geography education, COVID, uh, and try disabilities. I've heard every single excuse that people can make to say, this is what is going to prevent me from making this magic number. And for every single excuse, I can show you a list of at least a hundred people that have succeeded, despite having that same quote unquote condition. Mm. So it's all in our mind It is all in our mind.
1: So let's just say that someone okay, so you had said number one was awareness, which I completely understand we have to be aware in order to create change. What was number two?
0: I uh, just in terms of the, the whole the whole process. Yes. Yeah, so so awareness, clarity, right, getting very, very clear on what you want to create. Number two is, is the block. So just being aware of, of what your beliefs are and what your actions are that are actually kind of preventing you from moving forward. Just awareness. You don't need to fix it. You just need to be aware of it. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm I'm saying this to myself, you know, like that's it. You just need to be aware of it. And then step three, instead of going in and trying to fix it all over again, then you just go, no, I'm choosing differently. This is it. And if you can't get to the point of choosing differently, then you actually just sit, I'm just going to show myself love. I'm not going to come up with answers. I'm not going to come up with reframing. I'm not going to, I'm just going to sit, I'm going to do nothing. And I'm just going to sit in love right now for the moment.
1: Mm -hmm. To make a new choice and allow things to come to you and to feel different. Yes. And attract something different. You know, when you were talking about the awareness and how the foundation of where we come from, you know, emotional spending. I remember for many years, because when I was a child, I never got to have nice things, not nice by the standards of designer clothing and things like that. And I was a farm girl who went to a city school and a lot of the kids in my junior high school had all this nice designer clothes and I always felt inadequate. And I remember feeling like when I become a mother, I will make sure my children never feel this way. And I would overspend. I would emotionally overspend, not understanding the underlying cause of why I was doing that, you know, and how it was connected to my past, I would go and purchase like the best that I could buy for my kids, even if I couldn't afford it, you know, so is that an example of what you see in the line of work that you do?
0: Yeah, well, for sure. It's, um, so again, there's a lot in there. But the first thing is that typically, how we treat our kids, how we protect them, how we show up for them, is typically how we long to show up for ourselves, right? So what we do right. for kids is us kind of saying, oh, "I wish I could have done this for me." Um, so the other piece of that that you talked about is, is yes, just this emotional buying, which can sometimes be, you know, categorized in the overspending. And so again, recognizing that you're looking for emotions and love and nurturing through external product, clothes, brands, wherever it may be. And I'm familiar with that story because that was my story too, right? Oh, if I buy the Louis Vuitton purse, now I'll belong, right? Now everybody will see me in a different way. But the gap I was trying to fill for me was the gap that I didn't receive from my parents, right? So I kept trying to fill that gap externally. The work that I actually needed to do, again, we're trying to do it with kids and we're trying to give them the best environment possible but it still comes back to if we feel like we're still doing that for our kids it's because we still need to do that for us because here's the thing with our kids is that our kids despite our best intentions the way their brain is wired is their brain is wired to remember the pain as well and so we might be going out and buying them things so that they feel like they, in our brain, we're, we're saying, okay, now they'll be accepted. Because I wasn't accepted over here, now they'll be accepted over here. That's our life story that we're projecting onto them. They now could, and we have no idea, this is why it's so important to ask kids, the same way that we chose to perceive a situation the way we did, they are perceiving it their own way. We think they're perceiving it a certain way, but we have no idea, so it's important to ask them, because our kids, could be taking a look at that. Your kids could be saying, "Oh my God, my mom doesn't believe that I'm worthy just as I am, and she's trying to shower me with clothes." And now I've got all of these kids in my class that are looking at me, thinking, "Oh, you know, so and so needs to be the top of the, the top of the, you know, the 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 fashion icon, whatever it is." We have there's millions of ways to perceive a situation. Um, we have no idea how they are choosing to internalize that.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. I like, I I feel like that was like mic drop because I think that there's a whole lot of people, moms specifically, that are doing the same thing that I was doing and, and the underlying reason, that's why I understand what you're saying when you say just to sit with it and, you know, really understand like why am I even behaving this way? that wasn't even my intention for my kids to ever feel that way. But honestly, I'm sure it did. And even if I had consolidated debt, I could see that it would never have fixed the problem because the problem was within me. And it was something I needed to heal myself. And I think a lot of other people are feeling that way and why COVID is such a gift in the big picture.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, it's interesting because it's, it's, um, you know, I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give our kids, at this point is well at this point in life in general is to ask them what they need right step one is being crystal clear on awareness like what 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 is that clarity what do you need right now and oftentimes we don't even ask ourselves that let alone our kids that right so if we Mm -hmm. see them in a situation and they're unhappy about something it's it's you know what do you need right now What would make you feel better? Like walk through that versus trying to jump to the solution. I know I'm always trying to jump in, okay, well, what can we do? What can we do to make you feel better, right? Let's just ask what is it that you need right now? Like get them to do that work of of really tapping in, what, what do I need right now? And if they say, you know, I just need someone to listen or I just need to feel loved, right, then definitely as parents showing up and loving them, but giving them the skills to love themselves and to appreciate themselves. But it's, um, you know, one thing that I've noticed with my daughter is that I constantly check in with her now. How are you feeling? How does this make you feel? This is my intention behind this decision. This is my intention. How does it make you feel? And it's not to say that we need to change our choice with them, but it is to be very clear. My intention in doing this is for these reasons.
1: How are you perceiving it? Hmm. Good stuff. Good stuff in there. And what if they were to say, I don't know. So you ask them, what do you need right now? And they're like, I don't know. How would you respond to that as a parent? Uh, Yeah. So that comes up often for, for me. It's let's go, go sit
0: with it sit with it for a bit. Go sit with that and, and really kind of tap in because a lot of times this is where we first learn to, um, to avoid, right? We look for a distraction. Okay, I'm just going to watch TV first or, you know, maybe I'll read a book or maybe I'll, um, you know, I'm going to get on the phone with a friend. This is just forms of avoidance because our subconscious doesn't want to tap into that feeling because it's not familiar with it. So it, it's not to be, to, to be hard on the child, but it's like, you know, would you feel comfortable just going to sit with it for five or 10 minutes to see what comes up for you? And if nothing comes up for you, then, you know, we'll, we'll move on our day and then trust that that answer will show up for you um, throughout. And usually my daughter will come back at some point, you know, it might not be five, 10 minutes later, but I think to, to give them that opportunity to just sit and be still and not do anything to find the answer to just let it come to them there's a huge gift in just that
1: i just love this so much you know i was at oprah earlier in the year thankfully i got to go to the her event before um before covid and no travel was possible and uh, she said you know if you ever want if you're struggling with something and you're really looking for answers. Just be still. You, the The answers are always within you. And what I love about what you're saying here is that we can teach our our children these skills instead of trying to fix it, which a lot of moms want to do, you know, or parents probably want to do that. It's like maybe you don't have to fix it. Maybe you teach them and empower them to have those skills themselves, and to listen to their own answers.
0: Isn't that huge? Isn't that huge? Because I think that you know that's a full circle moment there, Corliss, because you. You know, you talked about how you fixing things or, or when you were a child, it was always about getting these pretty things, right? That was, that was the way that, you know, in your childhood, what your parents did to show up for you. Now this echoes in life as you get older, when we teach our kids this. And at the end of it, had you had just been taught or shown, just be still, right? All of your answers are inside. It doesn't come from mom and dad. They're all within you. Right. And because here we now spend, and this is what I find so interesting about our language, everybody has their own language um, and dialogue that they use, but many of us now grow up thinking that we need to fix things all the time. Right. And that language mm-hmm. just perpetuates. And again, nothing is broken. Nothing is broken. We mm-hmm. just have lots of layers. We just need to remove the layers.
1: Well, I always believe that experience is so valuable. So instead of seeing it as a mistake or that has to be fixed, maybe that experience was meant to help you grow into who you are now as you become who you want to be. Yeah. Isn't that huge? Which ties back into your purpose, right? 100%. 100%. And
0: and then sharing with people the layers that you've taken off so that um,
1: you give them the strength to take their own layers off. Mm, awesome. I could talk to you all day. I do have one more question about the magic number because I know throughout the matrix you work with people on this magic number and you've talked a little bit about, or not a little bit, you've talked quite a bit about the steps of of getting there to your magic number and being that the economic challenges are seem to be very heightened and we're all very aware that there could be these challenges moving forward. Just in, if you could summarize in maybe, you know, one or two sentences for the person who is like, okay, I know I need to make $10,000, you know, to do everything properly. That's my number, but I'm only currently making $4,000. If you could summarize, you know, and help that person with that problem where they would begin, what would you tell that person?
0: So, so it's been my experience that once you take the matrix and you understand the magic number of the blocks, and then you get into alignment. Um, Just that process alone, you start to create. So for some people, they go from 4,000 to 10,000. Does it happen all the time? No. My number was 4,000, and I needed to jump to 35,000. For me, it it was four, and then four became six, and then six became 10, and then 10 became... 14, and these weren't the exact numbers, but it was this, it was this growth that happened over time, but I got to 35 within 18 months, right? So you, the, the most important thing here is a, again, be crystal clear on what you need to create, understand the blocks that have been preventing you and get into alignment. And what then starts to happen is that when you take small, consistent steps forward in each one of those areas on a regular basis with kindness and compassion things just start to come in they just start to come in and i know this is really hard for people to wrap their head around because they feel like what they're supposed to know is the how how does it happen show me the plan how does it happen but i'm going to tell you right now that a part of the work that i do planning for profit is we put together the plan and the irony is that once people see the plan, they're like, oh, okay, now I can see how this would happen, except it never, ever goes according to plan. It never does. It never does. It, it just It's because you're aware of all of this and you see how this can come about that it starts to happen. So you don't need the plan. You just need the trust and i want you to watch for for anyone who's out there that's trying this i want you to watch for what actually starts to come in to your life because we keep thinking that okay money 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 where's the money 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 but money is simply a form of appreciation it's a form of love it's a form of nurturing and so watch to see are people are you being introduced to people are you receiving compliments are doors just kind of opening where there's different connections that are happening. So you have to be open to seeing all of those great things that are in the process of actually coming to you. Because if you can embrace those and welcome those in, then money starts to flow to you too.
1: The subconscious is so incredibly powerful and I have to share a story right now that I've never actually shared with you, Tanya, either. And I know that he's okay with me sharing it because it's a true story of something that happened a while ago. And it's it's funny that we're recording this episode when I'm about today to launch the episode with Dr. Murray Howe, who is Gordie Howe's son. And something happened um, a couple of years ago where I, I met him. I tell the whole story in that episode, and he's actually in my book, and I actually ended up being in his book unknowingly. And we went to his book signing, and I was going to be holding a conference that in the fall, like shortly after after I met him that summer. And I said to Shane, my boyfriend, I said to him, I'm going to invite him to come and speak at my conference. I wonder what it would cause for him to come. And I was really working on being very clear on what I wanted, what I wanted to deliver, the type of speakers I was looking for, and really attracting, um, you know, just shifting the subconscious mindset about what's possible. And um, I went up to him and, and my boyfriend said to me, oh, he'll be so expensive. And I said, yeah, you know what, he will, but I bet you he's going to come and I bet you he'll do it for free. And he kind of laughed at me. And I went up and I asked Marie, I I met Marie and I said, you know, would you come to my conference? I'm having it on this weekend. His wife, Colleen, was standing there and she said, well, we're in Paris at that time. So that definitely can happen. And I was like, oh, darn. And I, a part of me said, Shoot, that wasn't meant to be. I was wrong. And then I said to myself, no, I I still think I can work something out. So I said to him, if you were, if I were to move my conference, would you consider coming and how much would it cost me? So he gave me his speaking fee, which was of course enormous. And I was like, whoa, I don't know how I'm going to afford that. So that was on a Saturday. On the Monday morning, I emailed him and said, I just can't let it go. I'm willing to move my conference if you'll come. And I am not sure how I'm going to come up with your speaking fee, but I'm just going to sell enough tickets to be able to pay you. Will you come? He came to my conference. He not only spoke, he brought his wife, he brought his son and his sister-in-law. They enjoyed the conference so much that they stayed for the entire rest of the day. And at the end, he said to me, I'm going to waive my speaking fee because what you are doing is so incredible. I really want to support it. And he waived his fee and it was for free.
0: (laughs) Oh, Corliss, I just got goosebumps on that.
1: He's like... So much generosity and if I really can, I wanted to share that I was sitting here thinking is it appropriate for me to share this but I wanted to share it because what you are describing is so hard for people to comprehend that have this strong subconscious that is just holding them back and holding them back holding them back and the idea of like if I just become aware and get clear on what I want and I choose something different can be so far-fetched for people like you've already referenced that and it was for me so I get it but I became very aware of what I wanted I was so connected to something bigger and you know unraveling it and I was I was in the process of doing the work like you've also talked about and I just was so clear and I was like I'm not allowing those blocks to hold me back anymore like I am going to create something different and it showed up that way and I mean after it was over like I was honestly so touched and kind of in shock and I did a Facebook live after with his permission to share that he had chosen to do that and I just had I was so emotional over the whole thing, recognizing that this is the truth. We really do have the power to create whatever we want in our lives. And it does come down to the awareness and the clarity and then just choosing different and finding those answers within.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, I think what's really powerful about your story, obviously the story in and of itself, but I have to say, as long as I've known you, one of the things that, and I admire many things about you Corliss, but one of the things that I, I am just truly in awe of is your ability to ask. Your ability to ask. There are so many people that are just so fearful and afraid of even asking because of rejection. Right. And it's, it's just too painful for people to even fathom this idea of rejection because of whatever they grew up in and that hurt and not being valued that they don't ask. And you, um, you've done such a, an incredible job of not only asking people for things and really, you know, I, I know you do a lot of work in leadership. And I believe that what you do, not only when you ask, but then when you share your story and you share your story of asking with, with all of the consequences attached to it. You know, my belief is leadership that you find the courage to share your voice about your journey, because then you give people the permission to go through their journey too, despite the consequences, right? People are just so fearful of consequences that they stay stuck in their patterns. So thank you for all of the asking that you do and then in showing others that it's okay to ask, and that there's power in asking and giving them the permission to actually go and ask others for things.
1: Thank you for thank you for that. I really appreciate that. And equally I just want to say that I could say the exact same thing to you from the moment I've met you. You're so brilliant and I believe in all of the work that you do and I'd like to highly endorse the the money matrix, the program I've had the opportunity to go through it myself. It is brilliant and I really believe that everybody should should you know, walk through the process and take it for sure. Now, my three final closing questions that I have for you, I ask of all of my guests and you've already referenced what you feel leadership is, but just allow me the chance to ask you the question and just put it into one sentence. What does leadership mean to you? The courage
0: to share your authentic voice
1: fantastic i love that i love that i love it and if you were to recommend a book or a podcast that was a true game changer for you that everyone should check out what would you recommend
0: you know what the
1: one i enjoy um i've enjoyed it for the last 20 years
0: it's called the alchemist the alchemist by paulo Coelho. c-o-e-l-h-o and it is it's really about finding your um going through life on, on your quest and the, the, different, um, the different opportunities that life presents to you along the way.
1: Excellent, haven't, haven't been exposed to it, so I'm glad I have a chance to do that now. And a podcast, any particular podcast, you feel that is really relevant to what we've been speaking about today? Oh, you know what, I-
0: ironic, well not ironically, one of my favorites actually is Dr. Shefali, and I don't know that it's a podcast, to be honest with you. I know you can find her on YouTube. Uh, she's been going live with um, with Daily Wisdom. I think it's called Viral Wisdom, and she, I feel very connected to her because she says she speaks the exact same language that I'm speaking, but she does it from a parenting perspective, so our relationships mm. with our kids as parents. And so it's, it's the exact same process. You'll hear her talk about a lot of the same things, um, but she does it in a way that, for me, just lands differently and just reminds me to, to show up in a, a different way um, as a parent.
1: Mm, good one. Excellent. I saw her at a conference that I went to in Toronto and she was absolutely brilliant. There was just so much goodness in what she shared. So I hope everyone will check that out. Now the final closing question. And you've given us so much value today and I really want to thank you for taking the time to share. And if anybody wants to connect with you before I ask this final question, what where can they find you?
0: I... Well, definitely the website. So epiphany, E-P-I-F-A-N-Y dot C-A. And then my email is tanya at epiphany.ca.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Now the final, final question, based on all of the highs and all of the lows and everything you've experienced in your life, what one piece of advice would you want to leave the audience with?
0: I would say, um... Be very mindful of your current emotional state. So how you choose to perceive any situation is a reflection of what you're in the process of creating. If you choose to see COVID as stressful, you're in the process of creating more stress. If you're in the, if you choose to see it as a a restful time, then you're in the process of creating more rest. So if you find that you are skewing on a side that isn't beneficial for you, then just stop. Stop. Fantastic. Silent and then reset.
1: Absolutely awesome. Thanks again for being here today. And thanks to all the listeners for tuning in. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and it brought you value, make sure and share it with a friend or screenshot it and post it to your Instagram story or Facebook, tagging me at Corliss Co. I know the most precious of all commodities is your time, and I want to thank you all very much for spending this time with me today. Remember, you have the power to lead. Know your worth, embrace your value, see you have purpose, and be the leader you are meant to be.